God has really just changed me and grown me, and I feel called to be here. I feel like I'm making a difference in the lives of my students. It just feels like this was the next step in God's plan for my life. And I tell people a lot that sometimes it feels like audio adrenaline was really just a thing that led to this. Like I've got so much real ministry happening now, and audio adrenaline enabled this. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the New Release Today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. Today's episode features one of the founding members of one of the 90s biggest CCM rock bands. And like so many of these episodes, I had a blast talking with today's guest. And I think you're going to like this episode, too. If you've listened to the past three or four episodes, you'll remember that the Christian Music Archive website has to undergo a fairly significant upgrade in order to stay on the web. All last month, we have been praying about how we could raise the funds needed to do this project, and we felt led that we should continue pushing forward with this program. As a result, I've started a campaign to raise the funds needed to help keep us alive, and I need your help to do it. So I've got two ways that you can help. One is through a direct one-time or recurring donation, and the other is on our Patreon page. I'm asking you to chip in a couple of dollars to help make sure that we are able to pay the upgrade fees needed, and some of you have already responded. A great big thanks to Matt, David, and Melissa for your generosity to help keep the archive up and running. And if every person listening to this podcast each month were to contribute just a couple of dollars, we'd be able to cover the entire upgrade costs by the end of October. So, I'm personally inviting you to prayerfully consider if you would join and keep the Christian Music Archive alive. To learn more, or to provide a contribution, hop on over to christianmusicarchive.com donate. There, you can join our Patreon page or do that direct contribution we were talking about. Either way, your donation at christianmusicarchive.com slash donate will help cover the costs of keeping the archive up and running. Thanks in advance for your continued encouragement and support, and I hope to see you all over at christianmusicarchive.com slash donate. Before our conversation today, I want to tell you about another exciting Mercy, Inc. program. Starfish Kids is a child sponsorship and development program in the northern part of Haiti. Students in 30 schools are sponsored each month for $25 a month. That money pays for tuition and books so that the students can get a Christian education. And in addition to school, students are also attending church, and a lot of times the entire family will attend too. That $25 a month contribution also helps pay to train and retain teachers. Now this really surprised me. A well-trained teacher in Haiti makes about 1,800 Haitian good a month. That's about $20 a month in U.S. currency. That's just crazy. Starfish Kids would love to support and train more kids and add additional schools to the ones they're already working with. I'd like to encourage you to sponsor a girl or a boy today through the great work of Starfish Kids. And you can learn more by visiting mercycompassion.org and clicking on the child sponsorship link. That's mercycompassion.org, and thanks for making a difference for a child today. Back in the 1990s, I promoted a lot of concerts in Oregon and Washington. I did a short three-leg tour with Audio Adrenaline one year and had a great time with the guys. One of my most memorable shows was in a college gymnasium in eastern Washington. The opening band was playing on stage, and the Audio Adrenaline guys and I were behind the stage playing football. I often laugh about that story thinking about their big radio hit, Big Big House, where we can play football. 
That was also the concert where the police chief of that small town came in and turned off the power to the concert exactly at 10 o'clock, because the town had a sound ordinance, and the band was definitely not following that rule. Anyway, I think that year was the last tour that Barry Blair was playing guitars for Audio Adrenaline. And shortly after that tour, he just up and disappeared. Well, whatever happened to Barry Blair? Well, today you and I are going to find out, because all the way from Wilmore, Kentucky, I'm chatting with the original guitarist for Audio Adrenaline, Barry Blair. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Welcome. Glad to be here. Barry is sitting in a pretty cool studio. In fact, of all of my guests, I think he's sitting in probably the coolest studio uh, of anybody, and uh, we'll hear a little bit about that, I'm sure. So, People who are credit readers or people who are from the 80s know you as a founding member of a small little band called Audio Adrenaline. Yes. Yeah. And, and you were the guitar player for what, about uh, five, six years? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, you know, we met as freshmen in college, and so we played together all through college, and then after we signed our deal, five more years. So um, I was, you know, I was with those guys for really 10 years, if you count college, sure. five years professionally. Well, and then everybody was wondering, wait a minute, why did Barry leave? Yeah. Is that something you could talk about? Yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's road burnout, mm-hmm. and there's just... Uh, for me, there was kind of a, I, I began to be more interested in the creation of the music mm. and less interested in performing live. Yeah. Um, and so studio was really fascinating to me and, and fun. I got an opportunity to produce another band and, um, you know, just enjoyed that so much that I was like, maybe I want to try my hand at this. You know? Yeah. So I really left to pursue production, um, but it was also kind of the combination of that and just a little bit of burnout from a constant touring and uh, those sorts of things. Well, but you still, even though you were no longer part of the band, and you were still all over the credits of later albums. Yeah, we were still, um, you know, we remained good friends. Yeah. Um, there were no hard feelings. Um, I mean, we we had our disagreements like every band does. If you, you know, don't, are but, you a band? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure. That's a good question. But, you know, all in all, though, we departed. I departed with good relationships. I'm thankful for that. But, um, yeah, I went ahead and, uh, you know, they called me back and said, we're going to be going back in the studio to work on the next album. Do you have any song ideas? Mm-hmm. And so I pitched pitched them an idea that I had, and it ended up being the, the title cut on some kind of zombie. Yeah. And, um you know, so we continued to work together in different ways like that. Do you hang out with the guys at all, or do you see them at all anymore these days? Yeah, it's been, at this point, it's been a couple of years. But um, yeah. Mark was actually up here in Kentucky um, a couple of years ago, and we got to spend some time together. Actually, it was it was as he was writing his book. Mm, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And that was quite a book, and we'll hope to, I'm hoping to get Mark on as a guest to talk about that, because he's got quite a story. But we're talking yes, about does. Barry right now, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit because one, the first time that I saw your production outside of Audio A was on a band called Bleach, and they were a yes. rock band that that you helped produce their first record, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So the connection there is really interesting. When when we were all in college, um, I was giving guitar lessons, okay, and there was a, a professor's son. So he was in high school, or maybe even started in junior high. Um, maybe eighth grade, I started giving him guitar lessons. And so five or six or seven years later, we're out on tour and he is now in college uh-huh. and he comes to an audio adrenaline show and he sees me after the show and says, Hey, I'm in a band now. Would you want to come produce our band? And so I was, I loved the idea. I was like, yeah, yeah I'd love to do that. So I go back up to Kentucky and go to Kentucky Christian where they were. And uh, we found a studio and we went in and produced a demo. So that was my first time actually producing, you mm, know, and mm-hmm. they're new at it too. We're just a bunch of uh, people all new at what we're doing, really. I had the experience of, you know, making the audio drilling records before sure. I was a, in the band, but producing is a whole different, you know, thing. Um, but that was my first experience. And I said, I really liked what they were doing. I liked their music. Um, uh, and so I said, I can't promise you anything, but I will take this back to the record label and I'll mm-hmm. play it for them and yeah. we'll see what they say. You know, I didn't expect anything. I wasn't going to get my hopes up, but I played it for Eddie DeGarmo and Dan Brock at Forefront and they just loved it. I mean, within 
six months, the band was signed and I was producing the record. So that was how I, <laughs> how I got into producing, you know, and that's really what sort of lit the fire for me to say, maybe I want to, I just want to try this more. Yeah. And so, so from then you went on and you did and say, I wrote some down considering Lily, Addison road, Medford drive, JJ yes. weeks. So did you go out and seek these guys out or did they come looking for you? Um, it was sometimes either or, yeah. um, and a lot of those, so so some of the stuff I did was for Forefront. I produced a few records for Forefront after uh, Bleach. Um, but a lot of them were indie bands at the time. Mm-hmm. So like I produced Addison Road before they were signed. Uh, okay. And um, I believe they found me. I believe they found me. There were others where I would I would kind of go hunting, scouring the internet, looking for a good band. Yeah. And if I found something I really liked, I would just pitch myself. You know, mm. Here's mm-hmm. what I've done. And I'm a producer. And if you need a producer, I'd love to talk. And um, some of the bands I worked with, you know, came about that way. Well, it, it's been fun for me to be able to, I'm a huge credit reader, obviously, on my website, you see that a lot of credits documented there. But it's fun for me to see kind of the the progression of this person helped this person help this person. And how there's really this community in the music industry that's like, um, you know, this begets, this begets this. And if everything traces back to Larry Norman, I think. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so that's yeah. been fun for me to watch. And then to even now listen now, and you're still recording stuff. You're still producing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, I kind of, the producing thing sort of felt like it ran its course and mm. I was, um, looking for the next thing. And, uh, you know, I ended up deciding to go and uh, go back and get my master's degree and be a college professor. Oh, um, and it's the funny thing is, if there's an old audio adrenaline video, long form video, where we're all talking about each other, and Bob, our keyboard player at the time, said, "I, th- I think Barry would make a good professor someday." <laughs> and I thought at the time that'll never happen. I'll, I'll never be a professor, <laughs> but I am, and I really do love it. Feel like God's called me here, um, but. Now that I'm doing that, I kind of all of a sudden felt free to just do whatever I wanted musically again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, music wasn't about trying to pay the bills. It wasn't right. about trying to have to do a certain thing to build a career. So it was just, well, what would I enjoy doing, you know? And it's really freeing to just be back to approaching it like that. It, well, isn't that kind of why most of us get into music in the first place? Yes. Is just to express something inside and yes. not necessarily make it a living. Absolutely. And then it's easy to lose that along the way. It's really easy to just lose sight of that, get caught up in the, you know, you, you do have to think of it as a business sure, and you have to focus on that part of it. And it's really easy to just kind of forget the, why did I start doing this in the first place? You know? Uh, so that really brought me back a lot of joy to just get back to making music the way I did in college, yeah. just because I love doing it for no other reason, you know? Well, that's been interesting talking to some old Jesus music people and to some of these folks who are just, like you said, making music for the joy of what they're experiencing inside. And then the business piece gets in, and the business piece is necessary to take your stuff to the masses. Do you have a word of advice for folks who are saying, I love this, but I want to make it a career. Where's that balance? What kind of things do you tell, well, probably your students, but yeah. the listening audience, how do you find that? Yeah, that that is a tough thing to balance. And I um, probably, honestly, and I think I was this way as a college student too, is you're a little bit of an idealist. Like, sure. I'm not going to worry about the business. I'm going to do whatever I want, you know? And it's a little bit... Uh, maybe egotistical or self-centered. And so there's, there's a part of you that has to learn, Hey, if I want to succeed, I may have to, you know, change some things in order to, uh, find success. Um, and I, I honestly, for me in my journey, that was a process of kind of learning humility Hmm. of like, Hey, this is not all about me. It's not all about what I want. Yeah. God used that to humble me and, and help me not be so, uh, I don't know, focused on myself, yeah. you know, but on the other side of it, like you're saying, you got to keep that passion and, and do it from your heart where it's real. Uh, in my experience, you know, it was really easy to lose that. Um, and, and I think everybody has different experiences, but we went through a pretty, we went through a, you know, a couple of albums worth of, you know, trying to find ourselves after we had been, 
you know, sort of made into something that we never should have been in the first right. place. Right. And um, so that was a, you know, that's its own story. Well, but, and you, um, you hear artists talk all the time about how the label wanted me to be something different or uh, they want me to be the next X band, whatever that band is, because yeah. that's a money sign for the, for the business. And the record label is a business and they've got mouths to feed just like the band has mouths to feed. So, that's right. So for an up and coming, and, and I think it's a little different today with the ease of the internet and how everybody can just pretty much go you know, they can plug their song on Spotify or whatever, but there's still a benefit of the machine, if you will, in a business. So as, yes. as somebody starting out, how do you counsel them to say, well, what's more important, the machine or the integrity? And integrity may be the wrong word, but you know what I mean? The, right. the, the, the ability to be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I've more and more become a believer that, you know, your best chance of success is to follow your heart creatively, mm -hmm. you know, um, that that's where you find originality um, is when you just just kind of follow your instinct and, and let that take you where it goes. Um, you know, but it's always balanced with those kind of the sort of marketing and business questions of, you know, you have to step back from your song and say, you know, is this really a good song? I mean, is it really <laughs> right. a good song or do I just think it's a good song, you know? And, and could it be better if I change some things? Because maybe I just want to keep it this way again. For, so I'm keeping, because I want it to be all mine. Yeah. Right. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to put out subpar work because you're unwilling to critique yourself mm. or be critiqued by someone else. Yeah. You know, so there's always that balance. But yeah, I, I fall back to, um, even in that, I still want to just, just create stuff I like. Yeah. And like the, the most awesome thing is when you, you create something you like or you love and you don't know, you're kind of like, man, I don't know if people are going to like it. Maybe they're going to hate it, but I really hope they like it too. Yeah. And then if they do, you got this connection, you know, you have yeah. this, this kind of spiritual connection that happens because, hey, I created that kind of just from my heart and, and people liked it. Yeah. You know, that's a cool thing. Well, and, and for me, I think I try to encourage people to say, what is my audience? Is yes. this an audience of, I just have an itch and I want to make a song. Is right. it, this is a worship song that I want my church to sing. Is right. it, oh, I'm trying to make a living. So I need as many people to buy it as possible <laughs> so I could feed the kids. Right. And so that's a vital part too. Yeah. Yeah. All of that comes into it. And as a, you know, when I was in the band and young, I was an idealist and I was very resistant to that. You know, I was resistant to doing anything just because it would help sell, you know? Um, I think that's sort of an, an artistic idealist, maybe you'd mm. say, I I'm looking for the right word, but, and you know, I, now I look back on it and go, well, if if people hadn't pushed me that direction, I probably mm. wouldn't be successful. You know? mm. Yeah. Um, and for a band, even within the band, at least in my in our band, you know, you had guys who were who leaned more that way. Hey, I just want to do what's ever gonna whatever's going to help us reach the most people. Mm -hmm. And other people saying, Yeah, but I I want to I want to love our music. I want to do <laughs> I want it to be authentic. Yeah. You know. And really, you want to try to do both. Yeah. As, as best as you can, you want to try to achieve both. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about music, because I want to get to a little bit of some of the other things that we talked about, but uh, you have just released a really, really cool version of Down in the Lowlands. Uh, yeah. The Charlie Peacock penned tune made popular probably by Russ Taff. Yep. Um, talk a little bit about that. And then you also have a really cool blues version of Reckless Love, that great worship song. Um so you're still making stuff, but now this is stuff you love. Talk about that process. Yeah, yeah Reckless Love came first. Um, and I had wanted to, I'd been wanting to, to do something, um, kind of a, my own release. I'm not a vocalist. So, you know, I, I arrange music and I create guitar parts and I can put all that together, but I got to have somebody to sing it. That's just, that's not what I do. So, but I, the idea came to me at church when we mm. were singing Reckless Love and I just thought, this song would be a great rock song. Yeah. Um, and so 
and I really kind of just heard it in my head how I wanted it to be right away. Um, so I demoed it, and then I played that for a, a friend of mine who was in a band I produced, mm. um, Jeremy Zeller. I was in a band called Poor Man's Riches, and I produced a record for them. So we've known each other for years. Yeah. He's got a great rock voice, and I, he, he liked it. So I was like, hey, do you want to sing this? that one just came together came together that way very organically and then I was wanting to follow it up with something else um, still kind of thinking maybe about another worship song mm-hmm. um, but I've always loved that song down in the low no, yeah. ever since the Russ Taff version and I heard the Russ Taff version before Charlie Peacock um, just that's who I knew um, you know but then of course Charlie everybody knows Charlie as just this amazing writer yeah great producer and all that um but that song has always stuck with me. And so, and again, I think I was just driving in my car when the idea came to me that this song would be really cool as a, like a heavy rock song, you know, hard rock song. Um, and, and I kind of had the idea, kind of knew how I wanted it to feel, you know. Um, but I went in the studio, I, I added kind of like a guitar riff to it that wasn't there originally. Okay. Um, and that was, you know, a little bit of time of just sitting in the studio and kind of, playing around till it came out. The water is up to my neck And I'm sinking in the deep There is no foothold To find anywhere I'm very worn out from calling for help My throat is hoarse and dry as a bone My eyes, they fail me from looking for you I'm looking for you I'm down in the lowlands where the water is deep Hear my cry, hear my shout, save me, save me Down in the lowlands where the water is deep Hear my cry, hear my shout, save me, save me Save me, save me 
I wanted it to feel like um, even just as I was imagining it I love that song yeah this is kind of an aside have you cranked up the Russ Taft version I did it when I first had my CD and right at the very beginning while the music because you know it kind of fades in you hear uh-huh. Russ say are you recording this and it's really never way, way back in the mix. I mean, it's clear back in the mix, but it's one of those wow. things that's like, that's a little Easter egg that I like to remember. <laughs> I'm going to have to look for that. I, I've never heard that, but I love little hidden things like that. Yeah. It's like uh, that, had, that had to be something somebody missed <laughs> in <Yeah>. the edit. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And then you also have a really cool Christmas album, a real cool a kind of acoustic guitar Christmas album too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, thank you. I did that one. I, I got That one's probably probably like 14 years old now. I think oh, I did wow. it in about 2008. Okay. Um, and I wasn't, I was producing other bands still, but I wasn't really re- releasing anything on my own. Um, and so it, it was really kind of just a labor of love. You yeah. Know? I'm just going to hole up in the studio and arrange all these old Christmas songs on guitar. And uh, I believe when I first released it, just, you know, think about 2008, things were so different then. <laughs> yeah. um, I think I first just like printed printed a couple of hundred CDs. That's yeah. all it was, you know, and then I ended up putting it on iTunes and then years later putting it on Spotify. Yeah. You know? So, well, I have to admit, I was there. listening to Christmas in August today because I listened to some <laughs> of that album before, before our conversation. Well, you alluded yeah. to earlier that after kind of the production thing, you worked with Bleach and some of these other bands, you kind of went back to school Got a yeah. master's degree, and then now we're talking to you at a school where you're now a mm-hmm. professor. I'm a that? professor, <laughs> yes. So talk about what that, how that transition happened. How did you get uh, hooked up? Let's see, you're at? Asbury University, yeah. So, you know, I've known about Asbury for a long time. Um, of course, it's, it's in the same town where they used to have the Ichthus Festival, okay. Wilmore, Kentucky. So, Isn't it called the Asbury Theological Seminary? There's, there's both. Okay. So there's, okay. there's a university and a seminary. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and I'm at the university. Um, so that's how I first ever heard of Asbury was because of the connection to Ichthus. And then um, I remember hearing years and years ago that they had a really great media program. And back then it was like television, uh, probably broadcast journalism, that sure. kind of thing. Um, but there was there was some people who were, came out of that program that worked on some of our music videos or something. Mm. So even back in the audio adrenaline days, I remember people saying, "Man, Asbury's a great school," you know. Yeah. So I sort of had that impression of it, and um, I had, you know, the producing thing. I really kind of felt like it had run its course. Um, that's how music careers are. <laughs> they kind <laughs> right. of they kind of peak and and valley and. Um, you know, I, I, I felt like I wasn't going to get any farther with it than I had. And, and at first that was sort of a, uh, you know, hard experience. Like, okay, yeah. what am I going to do next? Yeah. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my life next. Um, feeling a little bit of that sort of, uh, not knowing where, what was next. Um, and, and I hadn't really thought about being a professor and I didn't want to go back to grad school. Mm. It was not something that was on my radar. Um, but my wife encouraged me to call some different schools and really what I was looking for was not a professor job, but more of a, you know, maybe the house engineer in a studio at, at a different school. And I knew Asbury had media. So I contacted them, the head of the media department, Jim Owens, uh, emailed me back within an hour or two. Oh, wow. And he said, we're, we have a media program and we're going to add audio production and we need an audio professor, but you'd have to get a master's degree. And he said, the best thing to get would be an MFA, Masters of Fine Arts okay. um, in audio or in recording or something like that. So that sort of, you know, sparked my interest a little bit. I started Googling and, and where can <laughs> I find an MFA in recording, mm-hmm. you know? 
Turns out the only one I could find in the whole United States was 30 minutes from my house oh, wow. at, uh, at Middle Tennessee State University down in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And I lived in Spring Hill, Tennessee. So about 30 minutes away, uh, I went and visited the college and it was just an amazing college, amazing, you know, program. Um, that was really, so it just, all the pieces were coming together. It felt like God was orchestrating Absolutely. this, you know? Yeah. And, um, and Asbury, um, I adjuncted at Asbury while I was doing grad school. I would okay. drive back and forth and they paid for a lot of my grad school. Very and then cool. I had a full-time job waiting for me when I graduated. So oh, very cool. It, it couldn't have been more smooth. It was God's hand the whole way. And I, I'll add to that, like, I didn't know if I would love teaching. I'm not a, I'm a bit of an introvert. Hmm. So I didn't know if I would love standing up in front of a class and talking, you know, and, um, and God has really just changed me and grown me. And, um, and I feel called to be here. Um, I feel like I'm making a difference in the lives of, you know, my students, um, all of that kind of, kind of thing. It, it just feels like this is, um, this was the next step in God's plan for my life, you know? Yeah. And I tell people a lot that sometimes it feels like audio adrenaline was really just a thing that led to this, mm. yeah. you know, yeah. like, like I've got so much real ministry happening now and audio adrenaline enabled this, Yeah, you know? So there's kind of an interesting twist to that. Well, I always like, I look back over my own life and see the progression of how God brought me to, through this experience, which made it possible for me to go through experience B, C, yep. D, E, all the way down the road, which I like to remind people, in fact, I'm needing to remind my, myself that sometimes, is that whatever I'm going through right now is the training ground for the next chapter, whenever that is. It might be tomorrow, it might be 10 years from now, but That's that right. God is purposefully putting you in places so that you can do exactly what he needs you to do later on down the yeah. road. I, I believe that wholeheartedly, yeah. And I, I think I've witnessed it in my own life. Well, I have two branches of questioning that I want to go around this. So let's start with, let's talk about your normal day. So as a professor, you know, we think, at least way back when I was in school, you sit down in class and you're taking notes and somebody's standing up on the chalkboard or, you know, whatever, writing down things. But you're talking audio production. That's a little bit harder to do on a chalkboard or a whiteboard or whatever they are. <laughs> yes, what, what does that look like is. for you? Yeah, it's less of that although there's some of that, but it's more of, you know, we're in a recording studio. We have sessions. We've, we, we produce a song over the course of the semester. Um, people take turns getting up at the board and engineering. You know, we talk about the process. They experience the process. We talk about the decisions that just, you know, really thousands of decisions that happen in a production. Uh, we talk about, you know, things like mic technique and how to get good sounds, how to, how to do the recording really well. Um, those kinds of things. Uh, so it's very, it's a lot more hands-on yeah. than what you might think of as the typical lecture kind of setting. Um, there are, there's a technical side of it, you mm -hmm. know, a little bit of a science side of it. And, and that stuff is more lecture and more, uh, you know, you, you list, you take notes and you take the test and you show me that you understand these concepts. Um, but then combine that with the hands-on practical experience of just actually recording yeah. And and it is something that, you know, you learn it the best by just doing it a whole lot. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Well, and as technology is changing, there's <laughs> always yeah. something to learn, right? <laughs> yes. If, even for me, I, oh, yeah. I have to keep up with the all the changes in technology that are happening so fast. Yeah, I just recently started running sound at church after a number of years of not doing sound and had to learn the whole difference between a digital board and an analog board. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that I don't have all of my trim knobs and all of my gain and EQ for every channel, I have to punch a button to get this channel. <laughs> right. I, I'm with you there, and I, I went through that transition. The funny thing is, you know, my students, who are 19 and 20 years old. <laughs> right. This is all they know. <laughs> they don't, yeah. Like, there is no analog board option. It's digital boards is all they've ever known, you know. And pro and software. They don't know analog tape. You know, they only know software. When you so talk about just, a chunk on the cutting room floor, they have no clue what that means. <laughs> no, nope. Lots of things have changed, and a lot of it for the better. You know, I have to remember that they just they grew up in an, in an entirely different world of technology. Yeah. Than, you know, than I grew up in. 
I had a conversation, oh, it's been about six months ago or so. I don't know if you remember Paul Clark. He was an old Jesus yeah. music guy. And yeah. he had a young a young guy that he was teaching some recording skills to, and they were listening to one of his albums. And, How did you get that sound? Well, because he was trying to emulate it, you know, on the digital. Well, we had a toolbox full of tools, and we dumped it on the piano so that as we played the strings, it vibrated all those tools on the piano strings. How would That's I do? Awesome. How would I do that electronically? He says, "I don't think you can." <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the other thing I I love hearing people's testimony, and as we've talked, you've talked several times about God moving in your life, and it's very obvious that God is important in the school that you've chosen to teach at, and so forth. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your testimony. How did you come to know Christ, and uh, when, when did it become your own? I always like to ask, when did it become your own and not what mom and dad taught you? <laughs> right. Well, I, I did grow up, uh, my, my parents were Christian and grew up going to church my whole life, so I always did believe in God and believe in Jesus. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, that point where it becomes more your own and more real to you. Um, but I'll start with um, probably about 12 years old up through high school, um, I had a youth pastor that was a, just a huge impact on mm. me, both spiritually um, in that process of it of uncovering what it all means, really, and not yeah. just believing it because that's what I was taught, you know. And then the other thing that he did was he introduced me to, to CCM music, you know. Mm. He introduced me to Petra and DeGarmo and Key and all of these bands. That's what turned me on to it. So... Um, right there at about 15 years old, you know, those two things were happening at the same time. It was like um, my love for the Lord was growing, maturing, and my love for music. And I had found this Christian music that was so important to me in my yeah. formation, you know. And it was, and it, so it just came together like this is what I want to do. This is what I'm supposed to do, mm. you know. And I felt, I felt like it was a calling. Um, and I, I really believed it was going to happen. <laughs> and it was not in an egotistical way, in a kind of a naive way. I just believed this is going to happen, you know? So did you hear something specific that says you're going to be doing music? I mean, how did, what was that process like? I didn't hear God speak to me in a voice, but I, I as all of that was happening and, and I'm just taking all this in and I'm learning to play guitar and I'm learning Petra songs and also, you know, going to church and, and youth group and my faith is growing. Um, and then when it just all came together in my mind, like, this is what I want to do. I felt like God gave me that thought, mm. you know, mm -hmm. I felt like God planted that idea that this is what I'm going to do. So that was an important moment in my life. And then really, I would say my four years of Bible college mm -hmm. um, was a lot of that sort of it becoming my own. Um not just because my parents believed it and taught me, but wh why do I really believe this, yeah. you know? And really learning and, and becoming, you know, what we, what we say of it has to be a relationship with Jesus, right? Yeah. It's not just about the words. It's not just about believing something. It's about having a relationship yeah. with this person, Jesus. Um, that started to happen and become real for me, I think, even more so in college. You know, um, and then uh, the the maturing process is lifelong. <laughs> you know, right? Um, in some ways, I look back and and some of the things about audio adrenaline that that were difficult for me are that's how God God used that hmm. to make me you know more like Him now. Yeah, you know. Um, and I can see, you look back and you can see those things and you just really do see God's hand in the whole process. Um, so that, that's kind of maybe in a nutshell. Can you give an example of one of those times? The re I'm, I'm kind of going this way because one of the, the things that I've really, my heart's been really broken recently is the number of Christian musicians or even just Christians in general who are going through this crisis of faith and are trying yeah. to... I think the word people throw around is deconstruction, and they're trying to, you know, trying to define what does God look like and how does it fit into a box, and or is it outside the box, or maybe it's not even here. It's over. That's right. a process that I think we all go through in our spiritual walk, but it looks different for everybody. And 
so I would be real curious if you could even just think of one experience or one kind of thing that helped you know, yeah, I am, I am wrestling with this, and this is how it pointed me back to Jesus. A big part of it for me in those early days of the band, I think, come back to the the whole uh, wrestling with ego mm. and um, self, you know, love of self, putting myself first versus putting God first. I really had a hard time with with that, um, you know, if I didn't like the song mm. or if I didn't like the music. And honestly, I had to look back at it and I say, but really, that was because I was, that was, that was a bit selfish. I was a bit self-centered, mm. you know? Yeah. I, was, I wasn't focused on what God could do through us. I was more focused on what I wasn't getting yeah. that I wanted, you know? To be able to play guitar in a certain style or to be able to have a certain tone or somebody on, you know, the producer on the record asks me to change a part or change a tone. Um, those kind of things would really, they were, they they would bother me more than they should, Yeah, you know? And now when I look back at it, um, I do know that God, you know, that was a humbling process. Yeah. And, um, and I, I do think that I came out of it better, you know, that the Lord made me more like him, um, by humbling me through some of those things of kind of like, Hey, I don't, I don't always get my way, (laughs) you know, I don't always get what I want. And if my focus, if really, if my focus is on, okay, ministry, how can God use us? Then those things, they wouldn't be as important, mm-hmm. right? I, I could be okay with that. I could take a back seat and say, it's okay if if I don't get everything the way I want because God's using us and that's what really matters the most. Yeah. Um, some of that stuff, I'll, I'll be really honest, some of that stuff I didn't learn until I left the band, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I look back and I see how I wasn't as mature as I should have been in that time, you know? Yeah. And, and But then God brings about the change yeah. and makes you into more into his image. Uh, that's, probably a, that's probably a struggle of almost every musician. And in a way, it comes from more from uh, kind of from insecurity hmm. than from pride, you know, kind of comes from like wanting recognition or acknowledgement. And, and I think we all do in some ways, but being able to s- submit that to God's will first, right? Yeah. It's where the where the, the right position of your heart lies. You said something in your story that I just, and this is kind of just a fun fun tidbit. So you were, you were introduced to, to Garmo and Key, and then you grow up, you be, join a band, and now you're actually working with DeGarmo, Eddie DeGarmo. That's got to be kind of surreal. Yes, that was. <laughs> that was, because I did. They were the first Christian concert I ever saw at 13 years old was DeGarmo and Key. And then... And, you know, many times after that, probably bought every album all the way through high school and college. And then um, we get signed and and I knew at first, I already knew that Eddie had some part in the label. Yeah. Um, and then the first time he was like actually in the office, you know, <laughs> you're just a little starstruck. My goodness, that's Eddie DeGarmo. Yeah. Like, I'm standing here in my record label office with Eddie DeGarmo. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally had that. And then... When I got to produce Bleach, he's who I took it to. Mm-hmm. He's who signed him. He's who offered me the chance to produce it. And so now, even beyond the band, I was kind of one-on-one yeah. working with Eddie. Um, yeah, and I, I really now still, I consider Eddie kind of a mentor. You know, oh, sure. Someone that I I learned from and looked up to and um, you know, am grateful for just the opportunities that he gave me. I've had a couple of times now. I, I, in fact, I, you probably don't remember because you saw a million and one promoters, but I promoted a few shows with you out here in the Northwest and okay. saw you guys out here. And for me, that was one of those things. It's like, you know, I know these guys are just normal people. I know they're just normal guys, but I've always kind of looked up to them. So that's that balance of, you know, professionalism. And yet you guys do something that I really appreciate. So yeah, yeah, I can only imagine what that meet that first meeting was like when you were there. Oh yeah, it was surreal. Um, another one was we played, uh, we did this acoustic set at the Ryman Auditorium, mm-hmm. and Amy Grant was there. Ah, and, you know, she's just the she was the queen of CCM. Yeah. I mean, and I of course I had known her music and all that, so it was surreal to have her in the audience yeah. while we were performing. <laughs> you know, lots of I got lots of great stories like that. 
So you've talked a lot about some really, really cool things, the way God transformed you, the way you got to meet one of your idols and work with them. Idols is a wrong term. Somebody you looked up to. Yeah. Your adoption experience. Um, I always enjoy hearing people's, when they look back over their life and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe I got to do fill in the blank. Yeah. Between music and personal and, and relationship with Jesus and all of those different things, what's yeah. your pinch me moment that's, oh my goodness. Okay. Well, from, from a musical perspective, um, you know, the moments that stick out to me, um, when we were just, we were newly signed and really no one knew us yet. Right. Um, I got to go do some shows with DC Talk. Mm. And so I had never played in front of more than a few hundred people. And I was on stage at Disney World with DC Talk, <laughs> right in front of Cinderella's Castle, people down Main Street as far as you could see. And and not only am I on stage with DC Talk, but the bass player is Jackie Street. Oh, uh, my gosh. Russ Taft's bass player who I, yes. I had just loved for years. It was like, I'm, I'm 23 years old, and I've just you know signed a record deal, and now I'm standing on a stage at Disney World with Jackie Street. Wow playing for DC Talk. That was surreal, and I'll never forget that. Oh, um, wow. And then Audio Adrenaline, we went back to Disney World and played there, too. And uh, those are, you know, those are memorable experiences. But then you also have, before we were Audio Adrenaline, you know, we were going around to church camps, right? Playing for 100 kids at a church camp and actually spending the week with them. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember impacting lives, you know? I remember some of those times when you just... Uh, you knew you were you were making a difference on a deeper level than just coming in and doing your music, yeah, and signing an autograph and leaving or whatever. So, um, those are some great memories. That's the music stuff, probably. I mean, spiritually, my kids' baptism—you uh, can't hardly you can't get any better than that. You know, I I baptized my both of my older two kids. Wow, uh, myself. That was a great great experience, memorable thing. Yeah, and my own baptism um, when I was young. Those are things that are important to me, you know, meeting my wife for the first time. I guess people wonder about someone who's who's been in a band or had that sort of celebrity kind of life. But really, the big moments are the same. You mm. know, mm -hmm. It's thinking about when you met your wife. Yeah. It's thinking about when your kids were born. Well, Barry, one of the things we do every Saturday is we send out a prayer newsletter and we post uh, to our social medias prayer requests for artists and people who are who have been and who are making music. What specifically can we be praying for you in the weeks and months ahead? You know, I would say uh, right now, especially being on a college campus, every college is dealing with how do we address COVID. Some people want to wear masks. Some people don't want to wear masks. <laughs> yeah. Some people want to get the vaccine. Some people don't want to get the vaccine. Uh, there's so much. It's not, it's, it feels like it's all over our country, yeah. but even on our campus, it feels like there's so much division. Mm. And I've just personally been praying like for unity um, on our campus, for unity in our churches, yeah. for unity in our country, you know, where we, we have different points of view on all kinds of things, but we have to be able to come together above that as yeah. brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, and love each other and be willing to give up our wants for someone else's needs and all those kind of things, yeah. you know. Um, so I'm praying for that uh, for our campus. And I guess I would ask that you guys pray for me to the extent that I'm kind of a leader here, mm -hmm. you know, that I will be wise and kind, uh, just handle all that with grace. As a follower of Christ, I like looking back over my life and seeing how God has prepared me for what I'm doing now. I've had some interesting jobs that, at the time, seemed like just a means to put food on the table for me and my family. But in hindsight, I realized that I learned things that prepared me for my next job. And the job I have today is a direct result of the variety of experiences I've had, both in jobs and throughout my life. Barry talked about that as his experience, too. If you would have told 13-year-old Barry that he would have been a college professor, he would have stated emphatically that, no, I'm going to be a rock star. 
but his experiences with audio adrenaline and with other life situations prepared him to be the professor that he is today and helping shape young lives into the people God wants them to be. And it wasn't just the band either. It was his newfound interest in producing. It was the fact that the degree he wanted was offered at just one school, and that was just 30 minutes from his home. I am a firm believer that if we follow the interests God gives us, he will take us to places that in the beginning we would have said, no way, I'm not doing that. But each step with Christ helps shape us into the women and men God can use. And of course, the other part of that is truly seeking after what God wants us to do. There is a popular phrase that talks about God giving us the desires of our hearts. Now, I don't think that that always means that whatever we want, God is going to give us. But rather, I think God places into our lives interests and experiences that shape what we like to do. He gives us talents and skills that are personally fulfilling because he plans to use us in ways that we could never have imagined. But he knows we need to experience different aspects of life, and so he helps shape our interests and our desires. Jeremiah 29.11 is a favorite verse of mine. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Or how about Psalm 37, 23, and 24? That one says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall. For the Lord holds them by their hand. What might God be preparing for you to do today? What situations are you going through that are training grounds for where God wants you tomorrow? or next month, or even next year. Maybe he's leading you to a new career. Maybe he wants to take you on a short-term mission trip. Or maybe he's asking you to consider adopting a child. Whatever his plan is for you, remember that the experiences, jobs, and situations you are going through right now are part of the training plan that God has for you. The things you are interested in are also part of that same plan. Speaking of adoption, we ran out of time in this episode to share all of the conversation I had with Barry. He and his wife, Dawn, have adopted a little girl from Ethiopia, and it is another great story of how God prepared their hearts through a series of experiences and relationships to adopt their daughter, Helen. If you'd like to hear that conversation, head over to patreon.com slash ccmexchange and look for the Barry Blair Aftercast, and we'll put that link in the show notes to this episode. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this. God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>